Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. In a scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Children see everything. While usually a statement used to remind adults to be on their best behavior, on January 6, 1993, it would take on a whole new meaning when a young mother disappeared and it seemed that only her three-year-old son knew what happened. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Bonnie Haim, born May 21, 1969, was a young wife and mother living in Jacksonville, Florida, when, on January 6, 1993, just two short weeks after spending Christmas with her family, she suddenly and unexpectedly disappeared. Though hopes were initially high, things took a turn when, that same morning, a maintenance worker found her purse just five miles away from her home, buried in a motel dumpster near the Jacksonville airport. Money still inside, ruling out the possibility of a robbery, police immediately began working the case as a potential murder, and suspicion, of course, immediately landed on Bonnie's husband, Michael Haim. Michael was a manager in the construction supply company owned by his aunt and her husband. Bonnie, too, worked for the company, handling their accounts, so police went to go speak with Aunt Ivan, who, to their surprise, immediately turned on her nephew and called him abusive claiming he, on at least one occasion, got physical at the office, she said, quote, One day they got into an argument in the parking lot, and she came in crying, and he had slammed her hand in the door, and her nails were broke, and she was very upset at that point. She said that Bonnie had recently decided to leave Michael, and in preparation, opened up a bank account in her own name, and, to keep it a secret, had the statements mailed to the office. When Michael found out, Aunt Ivan said that he was absolutely furious, so much so that Bonnie was forced to close the account. But according to those who knew Bonnie, the plan to leave her marriage never once wavered. Instead of giving up, she started giving her money directly to a friend for safekeeping, put a deposit down on a new apartment, and enrolled her son in a brand new preschool. She was ready to leave, but all of that changed when she disappeared in January. Recreating her final known movements, police learned that she had come home from work at around 7.30 p.m. the night before the disappearance and planned on dropping by Evan's house a little while later to finalize some plans for a friend's baby shower. But, according to Evan, Bonnie called her at around 8.30 p.m., saying that she could not come anymore. With a teary voice, she said that she and Michael had gotten into an argument and that she needed to stay home. The following morning, Michael called a coworker and told them that he wouldn't be able to make it to work because Bonnie had finally left him the night before. Neither he nor Bonnie reported to work that day, 
and a little while later, she was reported missing. According to Aunt Ivan, her nephew didn't really seem upset about his wife's disappearance, nor did he seem to care about her whereabouts. Instead, he seemed way more concerned about the money that he found out that she was hiding from him. Money that, despite his claims that she left, she had not come to collect. Insisting that he had nothing to do with the disappearance, saying she left their home voluntarily at around 11 p.m., he said that he called his mother to come over and watch their son so that he could go searching for her. He came back 45 minutes later, but for whatever reason, did not report her missing until the next day. With 45 minutes unaccounted for, investigators were suspicious and went looking for Bonnie's car. Sure enough, back at the Jacksonville airport and near that motel where her purse was found, they found Bonnie's car abandoned in a parking lot. According to their claims, her driver's seat was moved back enough that it would have been hard for Bonnie to drive, more consistent with a male driver. And once searched by forensics, a large, very pristine footprint was found on the driver's side floorboard, one that they believed must have belonged to the last person to drive the car, possibly her killer. With even Bonnie's own family doubting the significance of the print, investigators made the bold decision to speak with Bonnie and Michael's three-year-old son, Aaron. Interviewed by a child psychologist, according to the sources, police learned that there had been a domestic fight between the couple, that Michael killed Bonnie, and removed her body from her home. They claimed that all of this was witnessed by their young son, and that the boy was forced to come along while his father disposed of the body. Despite the damning statements made by the boy, Bonnie's father, who also doubted the print, claimed he was unconvinced by his grandson's testimony. The family divided, and the case became a catalyst of an intense family dispute, with Bonnie's family claiming she willfully left her family and some of Michael's convinced that he murdered his wife. Though some of the young boy's statement was discredited, police did end up finding the shotgun that, according to what Aaron told his foster mother, had been thrown off a particular bridge by his father. In 1999, given what the investigation had uncovered, Bonnie Haim was declared legally dead and Aaron changing his name, was adopted by his foster family after Michael's parental rights were terminated. The judge in their case felt that the boy was at risk of abuse because he was the, quote, only living witness to Bonnie's murder. He and his foster parents later sued Michael Haim, and even years later, his story about that evening never changed. Claiming he still remembered helping his father hide his mother's body when he was just three years old, and telling his sister that, quote, daddy shot mommy in the stomach. Even as a child, Aaron drew pictures of the murder and in eighth grade wrote an essay about the whole ordeal. And as an adult, he wasn't ready to give up and let his father continue to walk free. Even after decades of love at the hands of his adopted parents, Aaron was still forced to live with the fact that, while he still believed wholeheartedly that he witnessed his mother's murder, nothing was clear enough to secure his father's conviction. For 20 years, he lived with that loss and confusion. But at some point along the way, he and his family won that wrongful death suit against his father. And as part of that win, he gained the rights to his childhood home, the one he shared with his mother and father all those years ago. In 2014, he decided to do some renovation on the property and, 
when he dug up the outdoor shower, he seemed to finally get the answers that he was so desperate to receive. Lying there in the upturned dirt on the property that for decades, Michael Haim had prohibited renters from landscaping or digging up, was a piece of a skull that, when tested, was found to belong to Bonnie Haim. More work would uncover not just more remains, but a 22 caliber shell casing that is believed to have contributed to her cause of death. Officially identified in August of 2015, on the 24th, Michael was arrested and charged with Bonnie's murder. After pleading not guilty and several delays, the trial officially began on April 8, 2019. After less than 90 minutes of deliberation, a jury found him guilty of his wife's murder, and on May 21, 2019, he was sentenced to life in prison. Had Aaron and his adopted parents not sued Michael and, along the way, gotten back his childhood home, Michael Haim may still be walking around a free man. Appealing his sentence, arguing that the case hinged on a three-year-old statement that should not have been allowed into the trial, and a dispute over the 22 caliber shell casing found near the remains, in May of 2021, the appeals court upheld the conviction and Michael remains behind bars. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on January 7th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.